right, I, I haven't got time to mark this motherfucker. Here we go again. We can't hear anybody. Nobody can talk to anybody. You guessed it, Pressure Points, with your two favorite hosts, I'm D, and this is Meet AJ. We're coming at you with Season 6, Episode 41, the most ruthless interrogator of the Luftwaffe. AJ is back on that motherfucking World War II grind, baby. Find us on Instagram, Patreon, at pointsopressure.com. Let's get to it. Well, turn the fucking thing off, you dumbass. Speaking of meat, yeah, I brought back some of the voices. You did <laughs> the the chi- the adolescent voices. Uh, oh yeah. God! Um, no, speaking of meat, I did the Ethan Chlebowski Ch- freezer meat thing because I got a. Uh, you know that guy? Is that the, how do you yeah, say yeah, his yeah. name? It's, Ch- it's actually it's Klebowski. Klebowski. Yeah, did you know that? No, he I, never I, says his name. No, it's okay. I thought it was Chlebowski for the longest time, and I was like, I hate fucking saying yeah. his whole name. But Klebowski. Yeah, Klebowski. Okay, awesome dude on YouTube. Great mustache. The big Klebowski. <laughs> big Klebowski. But he he does this has this video on like storing meat in the freezer. And it's like you can do freezer bags, you can do, you know, like food sealers, which I got oh, okay. a decent an okay one. So but he's like, you know, if you get ground meat, flatten it in and then portion it and then store it that way. Or like with a chicken it. titty, you pour it into whatever portion you, you're more likely to use, flatten it. And then seal it in bags or sealers or whatever. So I did that with some some Winco meat. Yeah. Because Winco meat's the cheapest. Turned out well. So good. I don't Nailed I don't it. have to crack shit open. I can just cook it from frozen. Fuck yeah. And they they had this sale on. It's not a sale. It's the the day old meats. I love oh, the day yeah, old meats. Yeah. It was like four dollars and eleven cents for two uh, country fried steaks. Damn. So I I bought that and just yeah. battered that shit up. Had a Ooh. whole made some gravy. Some gravy. I've been eating good. Hell yeah, not bad. Ugh. Yeah, and good then shit. that uh, yeah, there we go. that I made today. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, it's his recipe. Oh, awesome. Yeah. If you don't know who he is, uh, we really shouldn't start the show out by referring people yeah, to, to other else. people. Uh, um, check um, check by at the yeah. end of the the. <laughs> His name is Ethan Chlebowski. It's C H L E B O W S K I. He's an amazing, amazing like he he breaks down like food science. He has some phenomenal recipes, and my favorite part about him is that he does so much of his cooking based on weight rather yes. than like oh a cup of flour. It's grams. I don't know why, but. Ever since I like, I got a food scale like two years ago, and you got a Coke scale, but you're using it in the yeah, kitchen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I don't know. I've always just liked that approach more. Oh, like it's always it made so more good. sense to me. And then I got a really like a better food scale, and man, it's changed. Oh yeah, everything. I do so, everything that I can. I love every it. time I can, I'll weigh it out. I uh, my mom got mad because I converted her like pizza dough recipe into grams yeah <laughs> into, that, her, into that, like, that commie yeah. measurements <laughs> yeah, it's like i converted it by into weight and she was like why it was good as is and i was like yeah but now it's better yeah now now it can be actually <laughs> consistent <Yeah. laughs> 
but no, yeah. it's great. It's, so if, oh, yeah, if yeah. you don't like, um, if you don't like by weight recipes or just food, still signs. check him out because he's still the like. I'm pretty sure that he adds like. Yeah, it's the additional measurements and everything. I think he does. I've, I've heard him say At least say on it. his website, on the yeah. recipe. On the recipe, he does. Yeah. Um, yeah, how's your week going? <laughs> it's good. Yeah. It's been, yeah, surprisingly not bad. Yeah, nice. Yeah, just been taking it easy, and that's about it. Perfect. <laughs> hey, that's good. It's it's winter time. This is when we hibernate. Yeah. How was uh, your very busy week? Uh, I had to go into school for four of the days. You know, it, I got I got something out of it. Wish it didn't happen, but I feel like I learned something from it. Does that make sense? Yeah, but fuck that. That was it was four days, like uh, nine to four, and it was just let's review everything that you've covered in the last three years. That's gross. Uh, luckily, the presenter was really good. They were people on the staff at my school were like. The the presenter that's usually here is dry as shit. <laughs> so you guys got the good one. Oh, I was like, thank oh, thank God, goodness. Ugh. School so, sucks already, yeah. but like having to do eight hours of it four days in a row. Like, if I, was, I had yeah. to go back and do high school again, I, I wouldn't. I would kill myself. Yeah, I well, I would just drop out and get my GED, but yeah, that's fair. I, I should have done I that. I wouldn't do that either. <laughs> I'd just drop out. I should have done that originally. I was gonna, but I was like, eh. Yeah, you were going to drop out? Yeah, I I mean, I already had a job. I was so ready. I was ready to move out when I turned 16. Like, oh, I see. There's nothing against my parents. I was just ready. You know, I was yeah. born 35 years old. This is true, yeah. So I, I was just like, all right, let's go. I had like a girlfriend. I had a job. I was driving a car that wasn't mine. <laughs> You'd been gestating since the 40s. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've been, I've been it somewhere. It was a simple time. <laughs> and yeah, so I, I, was, I was ready. I, I considered it. Um, cause you know, my, my mother got her GED and there's nothing wrong with a GED. Yeah, it no, means not the exact all. same thing. So, so for a while I was like, yeah, I want to do this. The only thing that kept me in was my school let me take two different human biology classes at the same time and like an advanced anatomy and physiology all in the same semester. Oh, fuck. So I would go to one class, the, the advanced like anatomy and physiology class and then the same day, I, I had that on both days, you know how it's split, A, B days. I had that on both days. And then on one day after that class, I had the first human biology. Then on the second, I had the second. So <laughs> It's the most AJ story of, so you, I would just, of you going in and being like, I'm thinking of dropping out and just getting my GED. And your school counselor is like, let me bargain with you. And you were like, okay. All right. <laughs> if, they, if they offered good history classes, I would have done that too. But I so like I would do... You know, this body system in anatomy and physiology. And then the next class, we would have a test on that subject. And then the next day, we would have a test on that subject. Really? So, like, the first class, I had decent <laughs> grades in, you know, like B, B minus. Yeah. And then in the second one, I had, like, B, B plus. And then the third one, I had straight A's. I aced every test. And the teacher would grade them on a curve. So, when I was would get- Was it the same teacher every it time? It was a different teacher every time. Oh, Thank like, goodness. Oh, my God. So the the third test, I would always like ninety eight percent, like ninety six percent, crazy, and everybody, everybody else would be half. getting like seventy. Everyone in the class fucking hated seventies and eighties. I mean, they kind of did until the teacher was like, "Okay, well, when I'm doing the curve, 
we're not going to keep the highest score. On <laughs> we're going to go with the. We're going to drop. Yeah, we're going to we're going to go to the second highest score. We're going to grade on the average. I'm like, oh, thank goodness, because I was going to get my throat slit in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ! But no, then then I stayed in. But yeah, it was school was fun this week. I finished a very large project today, worth fifteen percent of my grade. I spent four hours on it. PowerPoint presentation about vitamin A deficiency in children. Gross. Yeah. Five weeks to go. Five weeks to go. I'm uh, counting down for you. You're counting down for me? That's good because I'm forgetting to count down. Five weeks to go and uh, three, two or three more weeks of this, I think. I don't know. Something like that. We're I getting close know. to the end of this season. I, I don't know what day it ends uh, on, yeah. but I started in. to. I'm starting to struggle coming up with episodes. Yeah, it's hitting that point. Like this, I almost did an episode on, and I wanted to mention this anyway, the Battle of Shiloh during the Civil War. Uh-huh. I, I uh, growing up, the Civil War was my focus. That was my really? autistic. Gross. Before I knew what World War II was. Yeah, and you were like, the South will rise again. Yeah, it was like the War of Northern <laughs> Aggression. <laughs> yeah, and and so I, I, there were a lot of really good, like, historical nonfiction and historical fiction books in my school that I read some of them that were like oh shit why am I like one of them this dude got his head chopped off and I didn't even know that was a thing that could happen when I read it <laughs> and he like threw up because he watched his own brother get beheaded and Jesus. I was not ready to deal with those emotions <laughs> and an, another one about a young boy who gets I don't remember it's been a long time but basically the classic one family member on the Union, one family member oh, on the Confederacy. Yeah. He's kind of split between them. And then he's kind of constricted into it, but he's also a kid, which, I mean, they had kids as young as nine in the Civil War. But, yeah, I, I was going to do an episode on the Battle of Shiloh, but when you look it up, most of the accounts are so dry and boring. It's just... This guy rode in with these guys, and then these guys oh, reinforced from like the, the rear, and the then these guys. Kind of so shit. boring. I want like the stories, the experiences, the yeah. firsthand stuff. And I just didn't give. I just didn't look into it far enough to find that stuff. But I did find that during the Battle of Shiloh, there were some troops who were wounded. And you know, you get wounded, you're not gonna die from the wound. You're gonna die from the infection. Yeah. And they realized that their wounds started glowing in the dark. And they're like, what the fuck is this? Like, I must be hallucinating or something. Yeah. It's got to be the syphilis. I don't know. And Oh, my God, I'm bioluminescent. Yeah, I'm bioluminescent. <laughs> we don't even know what that is. But they, yeah, they their wounds were glowing. And then the, the medical corps basically figured out that the people who had the glowing wounds were healing faster and better and weren't getting infections. What the fuck was it? God? It took like over 100 <laughs> years for some teenagers in a, like a... A school science fair to show that it was actually a, a competitive bacteria so it was actually competing uh, okay. with the bacteria that would have given you you know blood poisoning yeah and killed you it was competing with those so it was helping Yield your body fight it blood off rot. yeah <laughs> it was it was helping them their bodies fight it off damn by also fighting the bacteria so their bodies were having their own civil war during their the body war. exactly wow. Yeah. It was about the friends we made along the way. It was about the friends we made along the way. Wow. Yeah. And then I. That's wild. Yeah. It was so, so weird. But I'm like, I can't stretch that into an episode. No. So then I was like, I tried to type in like the, what are weird things that happened in history 
that ended up having a super simple explanation. <laughs> Couldn't find shit about that. Google's like, like Google's like, what the fuck? No results. Yeah. No, it was all cooking recipes. No. It says get a life. Yeah. Get off the internet. <laughs> Too specific, asshole. Yeah. This is my job. So I finally, I was like, I want this whole time since. Since my last episode, I've like I got to do another World War II episode. Yeah. We're getting to the end of the season. Got to go back, you know, bread and butter. Yeah, back to the basics. And I found this guy who's known as one of the the greatest. I don't know if "greatest" is the right term. Uh, most would you say one the, of the most the ruthless most ruthless interrogators? interrogators? Probably one of the the most the most effective interrogator in all of Nazi Germany. Really? Yeah. Okay. Take it away. And and here we are. Hans Scharf. That's Scharf? two N's, two F's. S-H-A-R-F-F? S-C-H-A-R-F-F. Oh, of course there's a C in there. Of course. Stupid. Come on. Silly he was born mistake. in uh, East Prussia. Oh. So, you know, in 1907. December 16th, 1907. You know, mark your calendars. <laughs> We should do a calendar, a pressure oh, points calendar, God, where yeah. we only have dates that we've done slutty, episodes on. Slutty calendar. <laughs> that, with us. <laughs> Fuck yeah, that would be great. So he was born to Hans, with one N. Oh my God. And Elsa. <laughs> the most German-Prussian names I've oh ever heard. If you were to ask me, what are two random German parents' names or Prussian parents' names? I would say Hans and Elsa. <laughs> So, Sharf. Sharf. Yeah. Oh, this feels like a fucking Mel Brooks skit. <laughs> God damn. <laughs> it kind damn. of does. Hey, people often refer to me as the new Brooks. Do they? <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I lost my train of thought in the middle the of that new, sentence. The new Mel Gibson. <laughs> the oh, new no, Mel wrong Gibson. Mel. Wrong Mel. <laughs> I was fending off a cough and I failed, but... So Hans Sr. with one N... Uh, was a Prussian officer, and he ended up dying in 1917 from wounds received during World War One on the Western Front. Okay, it was not quiet. Nothing on was when quiet he died. On this Western Front, and so he he was wounded, but he was able to, you know, he knew he was dying, and he was able to send a letter off to his three children. One of them would die a couple years later. Doesn't matter. Yeah, fuck them. So this, Hans, isn't, this isn't about them. Yeah, this isn't, no. Is this called the most ruthless interrogator of Nazi Germany or whatever we decided on? And his brothers? And no. his boring brother that died years before. As a late teenager? Boo. Gross. But Elsa, see, she came from She's one of babe. Germany's largest textile mills. Oh, damn. You know how I feel about textile mill Ooh, girls. Hell yeah. <laughs> Especially when she's the daughter of the owner. Ooh. Uh, so, you know, they're probably pretty well off. <laughs> they were pretty very, they were probably very affluent. Um, of course, the older brother, he was the middle brother, Hans with two N's, was the middle brother. <clears throat> so while the business would go to the older brother, he was still expected to kind of learn the trade, pick up, you know, contribute to the business. Yeah. So he got to go to a pretty decent school. He trained in textiles and weaving. Then he went into like, Merchandising, business, marketing, merchandising, merchandising, merchandising. <laughs> and then he went to, um, you know, he started learning about exporting. Okay. So he he is you know being trained to be this great businessman, and he ends up going to South Africa. 
Ooh. for a year to work for a car company. He basically went to South Africa to be a car salesman. What the fuck? It must have been some connection between like yeah, the families. Like it, it must have been like, oh, my the son of the largest textile mill. Oh well, I can get him a job in one of my, you know, fact in one of my, you know, salesmanships somewhere yeah. across the world. Get him some worldly experience. I can I can get your son a job. Oh great. There's a catch. <laughs> yeah, small catch here. So he ends up going down there, and he he meets uh, a fabulous woman named Margaret Stokes. Oh, okay. and he good old Maggie. Yep, he starts selling cars, and he his the whole plan. I'm going to be here for a year. He gets a promotion. He ends up staying here for ten years. He stumbles. Into he becomes a the director. Mine. Yeah, <laughs> and his name Elon. Oh, gross. No, he yeah he becomes the director basically of the car salesmanship place, okay. the car dealership. Yeah, couldn't remember that word. <laughs> car salesmanship place. And he yeah he marries <laughs> he marries Margaret and they have three children across those ten years. And it life's good. He's man. Getting... That is that is so like just not common back in that time. Yeah, right. Three kids over ten years is like whoa, what? Whoa, whoa! You gotta you gotta pick what do up you the mean pace. You didn't have all three within six months of each yeah. other. <laughs> well, you see, the difference is Margaret. Where does that name come from? What was her last name? Margaret Stokes. Stokes. Margaret was a British woman. Okay. And in fact, she was the British daughter of a an ace pilot from World War One. Her father was a British pilot, like hero, which is just a weird kind what? of yeah. He he was a a pilot during World War One. He was an ace, and I forgot his name. It was like Claude or something. I have it later, but yeah. Huh. So he's the son-in-law of a British fighter pilot hero. <laughs> Which is very interesting for Hans Scharf. Fuck everybody that just looks out. Right? Like, go to hell. Yeah, so she's probably just down there on vacation because, you know, South Africa with the British, you know. We did a whole episode about that. But, (laughs) yeah, so they get married. He becomes extremely fluent in English. She becomes extremely fluent in German. Life's beautiful. Grand. They live in the South African dream. Only because they're white, and this is firmly in apartheid. Oh, God. So they decide, you know, ah, let's bring the kids, let's bring the wife to meet the family. So they travel one summer back to Germany. They're near Berlin. It's 1937. Uh, like, wait, what? It was uh, the summer of 1939. Oh, my God. I was so close. Yeah. Did they have any idea what the fuck was going on? No, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I don't know because if they did, why would they go? Yeah, maybe the they fuck? maybe they thought it was like we'll we'll get in ahead of it, and then we'll leave, and then it'll start. Like the the writing was on the wall; it had to be even she's, from that far she's away. She's got brown hair and brown eyes, and like they yeah. land, and he and they're just like, oh fuck, <laughs> we shouldn't have come <laughs> with here. all their brown haired children. <laughs> God. So they, yeah the. The war breaks out, and they're essentially stranded. They can't get back to South Africa yeah. because it's, you know, basically under British control. We're on vacation for six years. <laughs> and they, they get stuck in Berlin. He, he gets a job because of his, you know, impeccable record. 
Then he gets drafted. Ah, <laughs> oh, damn it, dude. If you just stayed in fucking South Africa. If he just stayed living the dream out there, would have been fine. So now he he's drafted, and now his British wife is stuck with their half-British children in Berlin. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> like, oh, shit. <laughs> so he, he's drafted into the Wehrmacht. And which, which side of the wall are they on? That's a really uh, this important is pre, question. Very pre-wall, <laughs> and this is very central. <laughs> and so he's sent off for training for a couple of months, and he's slated to be sent to the Russian front, the Eastern front. Okay, that's not good. No, that's great. Perfect. If you, if you're sent to the Russian to the Eastern front, they, they you're like you're the meat. You're going into the meat grinder right no. now. Germans and Russians got along great, yeah, didn't they? they? Perfect. They were best buddies, right? Yeah, they didn't work together to take no. over Poland and then immediately stab <laughs> each other in the back. No. So, and he gets assigned to a panzer unit, not a panzer unit, a panzer unit. Panzer. And his wife gets word that he's being sent, which again, British South African woman stuck in Berlin with her Prussian German family. God, that must have been terrifying for her. Jesus. She, but maybe not. I think this, I think this lady got a big old set of balls on her. Yeah. <laughs> Cause she got, she gets a letter. She gets word back. Oh yeah, I'm going to the Eastern front. And she says, fuck no, you're not. <laughs> what the fuck? She, her uncle's Hitler. And she's like pissed off. <laughs> Uncle-in-law. <laughs> yeah. Uncle-in-law. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. She talks her way into just some German general's office without fuck? an appointment. She talks her way into it and berates him. And she starts saying, you guys are fucking idiots for putting this dude who's great with people and speaks fluent English to the front line. Why would you do that? And, you know, I'm thinking, I'm like, that is really stupid <laughs> to do that. Like, they're they're currently fighting, like, the Battle of Britain, well, I mean, that hasn't really started yet, but, you know, the British are the main enemy right now for them, and they're worried about the Americans coming into the war, but they're like, yeah, this guy who has been living with a British woman for 10 years in South Africa who knows a lot about their, you know, their life and their mannerisms and things, yeah, let's send him to the <laughs> to the Eastern Front. When, when he was working in South Africa as a car salesman, she went to his shift every day. And she was just over his shoulder. And when people were like, nah, you know, price is a little high for me. She'd chime in and be like, you're a fucking idiot. Yeah. <laughs> she would just berate them into buying the car. Dude, I don't like, know. I'm selling cars left and right. Like, this is great. But then you're you're thinking of, <laughs> like, I'm thinking of the, the time period. The war just oh, started. Dude, yeah. How did a British woman. No idea. Do this. In, How did in she. In Berlin. In Berlin. Demand the respect of a Nazi general. And he listened. Like I don't know. I don't know. Good for know. her. But fuck. I don't know what she did, but badass. She's the hero. Because yeah. she at least saved a life, maybe. <laughs> <clears throat> so, yeah, they listened. He was transferred to an interpreter unit based in Germany. He would, you know, officially never see frontline combat as long as he's part of this interpreter unit. Damn. Probably saved his life. So hear, he hear that, guys. Get yourself a girl that'll keep you off of the front lines yeah, of, get a, of fighting against Russia in World War II. Get a girl who will, you know, yell at the waitress for you if you ordered red sauce and you got white sauce. Hell hath no fury, man. <laughs> yeah. So he was he was transferred to Weissbaden in Germany to report for his unit. It's Company 12 is what it was called. 
But it, it looks really cool in German because they use K for oh. company. So K-12. K-12. Company 12. Okay. Yeah. But they didn't really, because it was so last second, they didn't really tell him where to go. So he shows up at the train station and he goes to the military police. <laughs> he just goes home. <laughs> yeah, just goes home. No, he goes to the military police and says, hey, where's company 12? Like, I'm part of this interpreter unit. And they say, no, 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 no. You're part of a panzer unit. <laughs> Oh my God! So they transferred him from. One so they to transferred another? him. They took him to another Panzer unit. Oh my God! And he's trying to say, "No, I'm not part of the Panzer unit. Like I'm supposed to be in this interpreter company. Like what are you doing?" And they just weren't really listening. He so like, you really frustrated. think your wife can come in here and tell us how how the yeah. fuck we're gonna move you? No, we just transfer you to another Panzer unit. You dumb piece of shit. So they didn't listen, and the new battalion and the the leadership in the new battalion. Just didn't listen to him at all. They they just thought, oh, he's just trying to get out of it. <laughs> so he 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 remembers uh, that that letter his dad sent him on his deathbed. Basically said, if you ever you know run into problems or you need some guidance or something, reach out to Major Ledebour or Major Postel. They're both in my regiment. They know me. I know them. They'll help you out. Man, this guy with fucking name dropping. Jesus Christ. And so he I, probably opens a phone book. I don't know. He, <laughs> he, he opens and it's just immediately to the letter that his dad wrote that this, has their names. So far, on this there. guy He's has like, amazing Oh, my luck. God. The luckiest man alive. Yeah. That that note that his, his dad wrote slips out of his, his journal, <laughs> yeah. lands, lands on a feed. He's like, one second. Reads it. And he's like, like heaven opens up to him. Yeah, he's like, look. oh, my God. Yeah, so he finds that Major Postal, or I think he was a lieutenant colonel at this point, wasn't he? It was basically in the town. So he he reaches out, he gets in contact. He says, "Hey, my dad said to reach out to you if you have if I'm having some problems." He explained his story. Turns out, Major Postel was very close friends with the journal of the battalion. He calls him directly and says, "Hey, fuck off." <laughs> Bring him to Company 12. And he gets escorted to his interpreter company. God damn. Like, the luck of this dude. For real. Normally, it's not like this. It's like, my entire family died, and then I was conscripted, and then I was a Nazi, and then I, (laughs) you know, like, it was just, it's just, it's a weird, it's a weird angle. So, at this time, he works with the interpreter unit. They... I mean, he doesn't really do a lot of interpretation. He does some training on American and British, like, nuances. But he already kind of knew all that stuff. And after some time, a couple of years, he was sent to the HQ of the basically the interpreter services of the war effort. And he worked as a clerk. <laughs> Super boring. And we've talked about this before, but the, the, the Germans and the Nazis really liked using those, like, IBM cards. Oh, yeah. With a, you'd poke a hole, and that's how you'd store data. Yeah, a little hole punch. Yeah, things. like, you know, proto-computers, binary code stuff. Super interesting. But he he would do that. He would poke holes, store data. Jesus. That was his job all day, every day. Which, in all honesty, is, like, the best job during a fucking war. It really was. War. Yeah. <laughs> like... uh, but he got bored. And he... He was so bored, he calculated that ba- based on his wage, that every hole he punched was worth five cents. <laughs> and he happened to let that slip in front of what's basically his manager. Oh, no. His manager goes to the general, 
Says, we're overpaying this guy. And says, hey, this guy is being kind of a dick. (laughs) And he gets pulled into the general's office, like going to the principal's office. And the general basically says that low-ranking people shouldn't be doing things that don't concern them and he shouldn't be figure like doing this shit because he's below that like you're here to poke holes shut the fuck up yeah stop calculating how much each hole costs yeah like what the fuck and then he asked hans his story like why the fuck are you here then if you're so bored you're basically looking for a reason to fire him yeah or send him to the eastern front send him to another panzer unit yep and he heard his story he goes and i'm he- promoting you to general he heard his story and he sent him to the Luftwaffe interrogation center. It, it's like between one and three people a year from this place could be sent to the interrogation yeah. center. It's like a major promotion. He was stockpiling data at his clerk job. Now he's gathering it. Yeah, he's so going to he be just, an interrogator. He just got a fucking promotion. Christ, Again, dude. extremely lucky. So he gets get sent to uh, o- Oberursel. Germany. Oberursel. Oberursel, Germany. And the facility that he's now going to be working at was the main intake center for all Allied Air Forces personnel. Besides the Soviets. They got sent somewhere else. (laughs) They probably just got sent to a ditch somewhere. But, yeah, anytime there was an Allied Air Force POW who got captured, they would come through this facility. And he, he became an assistant, you know interrogation officer assistant to the regional man or the regional interrogationer (laughs) yes so he would work under the main interrogation guy and that's where he learned how to interrogate people okay he never really had any direct training it was just watching this guy it ended up being two guys they ended up dying from a malfunctioning aircraft and he got their jobs (laughs) jesus i know i know it's ridiculous he fell into this at this point he's transferred from the wehrmacht to the luftwaffe he can no longer be sent to the Eastern Front. Oh my God, dude! <laughs> I know it's it just keeps happening. He's Jesus. he's ridiculously lucky. So he becomes a full full blown interrogation officer, and he starts running interrogations on these POWs. Uh, he was assigned an assistant named Otto Engelhardt. Hardit. <laughs> Otto Engelhardt. But they also called him Canadian Wild Bill. I don't know why he was a German dude, but then I could not find any reason. Canadian Wild Bill. Yeah, Otto <laughs> Engelhardt. Jesus Christ, what a fucking nickname. And it turns out... It probably yeah. translates way better in It probably sounds German. way better, yeah. But, turns out, Hans was really good at interrogating people. Of course he was. He fell into his dream job because he was a car, a car dealer. Before, he was a car salesman. Of course, he'd be good at at interrogating prisoners of war. And his technique was world-shattering. It was brand new, essentially. He he took and perfected the kill-him-with-kindness technique. Oh, okay. So POW would come in, they'd be confused, they'd be scared, and he would basically say... If you can't give me any information beyond your name, rank, and serial number, I'm going to have to turn you over to the Gestapo. I don't want to turn you over to the Gestapo because you've heard about them. He just played good cops so well. Yep. 
So he, he's, all right, all right, you just give me, you know, what unit were you in? What the base did you come from? The world's most lovable Nazi. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Like, what do you do? Like, but if you can't tell me anything else, I have to, like, you know, it's in my rule book right here. If you don't give me anything else, you must be a spy. And I got to send you to the Gestapo. So that, that's the first thing. That's how we'd get him. He'd usually get unit name and the base they came from. And usually that was good. That just, was, I mean, that, that was, that was, just a, that was a, a just enough information. Like that that was the start. Okay. And that, that would give them usable that was usable information. He he often said, Oh well, you know, I don't I don't want to send you to the Gestapo. I just want to put you safely in a POW camp. And yeah, they they would talk and then he'd let them kind of get acquainted to their new situation as a prisoner in an interrogation center. And he would show he would show up, but and because he was so familiar with British, like culture, he would start making jokes okay. that the Brits would relate to. He would make yeah. homemade food from his wife's recipes because you know she's British. Yeah, um, so he just walks in with fucking mashed peas and yeah, a brown. It was a plate of brown, yeah. <laughs> brown and gray. Yeah, <laughs> and then he would also. This was brand new. Nobody had really like, done this. Oh my god! It's just like back <laughs> just home. like home. Oh, and they he would bring in. Sometimes he would even bring in booze, like whiskey and shit, and share it with them just a little bit. And he would mention, "Oh yeah, you know my wife is British." Or, "Oh, where are you from?" "Oh, my wife is you know near the, from near that area. She's from Gloucestershire or whatever." I mean, I'm I sure know. he went. There's no way that they didn't visit like her family ever in all the yeah, time in that, that they 10 had years. been together yeah. yeah i'm sure that they had gone back so he's like oh he, yeah he, this he this knew this. about it and that's what really gave him the edge he would also mention oh yeah i'm the son-in-law of i didn't write it down claude <laughs> the the flying ace of world war one <laughs> these these dudes are like where the fuck did you go wrong man? yeah no no he, he played off the war in the interrogation yeah. like you know, I was drafted. Yeah. I don't want to be well, here. I'm you sure. don't want to be here. You know, we got to be here because, oh, you know, the government's the bad. Yeah. I'm not upholding it or, you know, working for yeah. them at all. <laughs> I'm just doing my job, you know. Jesus Just Christ. like you. And he really played it off. And he got a ton of information. And his, a lot of it was his just. His wife's over his shoulder. She's like, you better fucking tell him you everything. You better fucking tell him. These guys are like, deep. okay. Oh. She's like seven feet tall. with like yeah. 22 inch arms. Yeah, huge balls. Just, just hanging out the bottom of her skirt. Just, just dragging on the massive ground. Massive fucking biceps. Yeah. Like, her shoulders are just like four feet wide. Looks like somebody on that, that synthol or whatever. She's just a like a cloud. beast. Yeah. Fucking Neanderthal. Yeah. And he started, he was so successful in gathering so much information. And he was also so good at like gathering and making these charts on people that he started, they, they started sending him the high profile pilots and he started getting more permission to do whatever. Basically he could do whatever he wanted because he was so successful at it. Well, because if it ever went wrong, he'd just get another fucking promotion. Yeah, right. Somehow. (laughs) He'd be like, oh, we were going to close this position anyway. You're general now. (laughs) Jesus Christ. So he even let one British pilot, like he was a high profile pilot, fly a German plane. What? Yeah, they were like, we're just putting in enough fuel for like a 10 minute flight or whatever. You know, fly it, land. As long as, you know, as long as I have your word. Simpler time. (laughs) 
What the fuck? And yeah, the, it was like the British pilot was like, yeah, I want to fly one of these German planes. Like, that's cool to see, you know, you're, you're checking out the other team's gear. And he let him. And it worked. He got a ton of information from the guy. He would host tea. He would like tea time with the British pilots and German pilots. What the fuck? And they would be able, they would talk. And they, they had this level of camaraderie where it's like, yeah, yeah. I'm a pilot. You're a pilot. We're both kind of stuck in this. That's so There's nothing wild. against you, nothing against me. While we're here, let's enjoy it. And they, they would talk about, you know, flying and they would talk about aviation and they would talk about their families. They're like, what happened to the guys that didn't give you any information? He's like, ah, let's not talk about uh, that. You want some more tea? Yeah. You want you want some sandwiches? Um, let's see what you else. You want a toasty? That he would give some some of some prisons pool time. They could just go to the pool. They'd go to the zoo. Some of them were allowed what to go to the, the zoo. Fuck. Um. Some they would let him go to a little fancy interrogation yeah. field trip. It, it reminds me a lot of the, oh, what, what was it, like P.O. Box 1052 or whatever. We talked about it a little bit where the Project Paperclip, the Americans assigned, oh, the Americans brought the yeah. Nazi scientists over, bugged them, and then, you know, let them live at a resort, essentially. Yeah. Do you know where they got that idea from? This? This fucking guy. Oh, my God, dude. So, yeah, they, they would bond. They would have these fancy luncheons. They could, like, go to the cafe down the street. <laughs> With this guy, like he Jesus. he got so much permission, they they got better medical care <laughs> than they had back in in the UK or in America. Britain's Britain's trying to make deals to. They had dental like, care. <laughs> Britain's like, we'll make a deal to get some of our POWs, and the guys are like, no, 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 Please, please don't take us. One of the one of the most interesting things that he would do, I think, it, you know, doesn't seem that crazy, but I just think it's super smart, is that he would allow them to, you know, go to the local hospital to get their own medical checkups, their own medical care. But he would make sure that because he gathered so much information on these people and it started to kind of like a puzzle come together from different people, he would get just a little bit and he was able to piece it together so well, he'd be like, oh, this guy's from this unit. And there's three of his comrades in this hospital. And this guy doesn't even know that I know what unit he's in. I'm just going to say, yeah, you're going to go in and get some get checked out by the doctor. And, and he's going to walk in and be with his three comrades. Jesus. And they're going to let something slip. Yeah. And they always did. Even if it was something innocuous. Good like, God, dude. So smart. And he, But his favorite thing, his most successful thing on on his review was that he was allowed to take them into the nearby forest and just go on a walk oh, him okay. and one guy yeah. and he all he would say was hey promise me you're not going to try to escape and we can go for a walk okay and they would say okay i promise and it was so smart because it like revealed it made the the pow think oh he trusts me yeah and there's nothing, he's not trying to get anything out of me at this time. It's just a walk. Yeah. I can just go on a walk, clear my head, get out of this, you know, interrogation well, headquarters. It's also, it's also the idea, uh, they, in a lot of like, a lot of stuff that talks about, um, like couples counseling and shit. Not that I've gone to couples counseling. Um, Self-report. Uh, but they, they talk about when you have like 
big discussions to have when when you've got like really bad news to break or you've really got to talk about something, work something out instead of sitting at a dinner table across from one another. That feels combative. Mm hmm. That's why we sit like this. It's yeah, always, because it's always we want battle, it to be combative. A battle for who's it is a battle. On the episode. Um, it's a sexual battle but tool. They say one of the best approaches is to go on a walk because you're side by side. You're both moving towards an objective together, and anything that's said isn't at them; it's with them. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm sure the exact same. Like this is the that, it, the that, guy's exact same approach. Is probably based on him. Oh, I'm sure. Like, like is it's just like. They're you're going to get these yeah. guys out, and they're away from everything. You're out in a forest. Like, it's calming. No, Neither of them are saying anything. I'm sure that yeah, he, Hans he would, with two ends is Hans just like, he's never, like, he's he not saying say a word. He's just walking he along, and he's push like, it. they're going to Sometimes they're gonna he'd speak be like, up. that's a pretty flower. Yeah, they're going to go, oh, it's nice and quiet here. And he goes, oh, man, yeah, I agree. Like, I sure love when it was quiet back home. Where are you from? And that's it. Yeah, and it then just it feels a more like a friendly discussion. You're out on a walk with a guy that he probably wasn't even fucking wearing a uniform. No, no, he was. I, I was going to get in that he was allowed. He was one of the very few people yeah. allowed to See? not be in uniform. Yeah, he was allowed to dress in casual clothing so that to to have the impression that he was extremely high ranked because the only people who casual could be Friday when exactly you're the luckiest man in World War Two. I don't know how he like. He had to have been using his tactics and shit on the higher ups because he could get away with anything. Like, imagine going to your boss. You're <laughs> you're an interrogator, middle of the war. Maybe at this point the war is not looking that great, and you say, "Hey, this guy has a lot of information. Uh, I'm gonna let him fly one of our planes." <laughs> How <laughs> he, did he do that? He used the same tactics on his other bosses. He was like. I really don't want to wear the uniform. So he went into his boss's office. He was like, hey, do you want to go on a walk in the forest today? Yeah, do you want to go on and a walk And they're walking, me? and he's like, man, these uniforms sure are no, uncomfortable. You, you, know what, you know what he really did? Is it's, all, it's all set up on the walk. About halfway through, about 10 minutes in, his wife is standing on the other side of a tree. <laughs> yeah, she's just to fucking like, beat the she's shit out of them. fucking rippling. Like, she's just walking flexing. past and like, you see her? Casual she's, Friday every day, or she knows she knows where you live. She knows your she's face now. Polishing she polishing fucking brass knuckles. Brass knuckles. She, and she she goes, like she has your scent now. She'll never forget. She'll you never bet, lose it. You better not make it wear his fucking Luftwaffe uniform, you hey mate. And his boss <laughs> yeah. is like, oh, oh shit, fuck. Jesus Christ, God, <laughs> Maggie, I didn't know you were there. <laughs> Oh, that's really good. Every day's fucking casual Friday for him, isn't it? <laughs> Imagine she's got like that that British short, like curly hair. You know how it curls in around her Arnold Schwarzenegger esque. For, for, I can't even say it. Physique. No, she's wearing the fucking Parliament like white hair shit. Oh, definitely. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, fantastic. Cool. And yeah, the he would he would never ask him anything on the walks. And they would just, you know, they would just talk. People really want to talk to fill the silence. That's why we have a podcast. He would he would stage it so that his big ass wife would just like run through the trees. And he'd be like, was that fucking Bigfoot? Was that a bear? And then they'd just link on a traumatic experience. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he'd be like, oh my God, we saw fucking Bigfoot. And she's yeah. like, she's like, just out for a fucking run for the day. Yeah. Get my cardio. <laughs> oh my God. 
Damn. But but his his big skill and the skill of any interrogator is to get somebody to to leak details without even knowing. Yeah. Because if they know, oh fuck, I said this thing. As soon as they're released, if they make it back or have any communication back home, they can say, hey, I accidentally let this slip, and then they can change it. Well, I mean, even that, like, with how many people he's in contact with, anything they say is going to be information he's able to use with someone else. With someone else, exactly. he's got, like, this big, like, I almost said charcuterie board, but, like, a bulletin board with with red yarn. Yeah, like... He's just, he's doing this with everybody, and so he's getting all of this information and just collecting it and shitting it back out. He's just, he's doing the the whole punch thing that he was doing before. But on a bigger but scale. But now just on a bigger scale. Dude, he That's would do, wild. he had such in-depth charts of people who weren't even prisoners yet. Jesus. He would be like, you know, going out for a walk, and he's like, oh, you know, my, or uh, the prisoner would be like, oh, my, my friend really liked this tea. Or something. Yeah. He's like, oh, yeah, your friend, what's his name? And they get the name, and he's like, see you in your unit or something like that. Probably not even that. And he basically he's just figure like, out. oh, so-and-so really likes this tea. That's probably his yeah. fucking friend. Yeah, and then, but then he gets, oh, this prisoner's here. Transfer him to me. And then he can do his, his third step of interrogation, which goes crazy, and we'll get to it. But, like, for example, this is, this is one piece of information that he did get that was huge. He just mentioned casually... Ah, it sucks that the the Americans are going through that chemical shortage because all your tracers are white. All your tracer rounds, you know, yeah, they, yeah. they put off white smoke. And, and the the pilot was like, no, no, we're, it's not a chemical shortage. They just turn white when they're almost out of ammo. Jesus and, and Christ. And that, as yeah. a pilot, is... And they're like, okay, cool. I'm like, now oh, that's know. interesting. I thought there was a shortage. We're having that shortage. Sure. Oh, same thing happens to us. Yeah, but now they know... To teach their pilots, hey, if you see white smoke on tracers, yeah. they're going to be out of ammo. Go back. Yeah. Like, Jesus go go fuck Christ, them up. Dude. Like, that's a huge piece of information. Um, And it, it just stacked up. The more he would do it, he, you know, he started getting the tough prisoners of war. The people who wouldn't say a word. He started getting the, like, the pilots who were in the media in different countries. Like, the ace pilots and things yeah. like that. Um. And so one one thing he would do, if somebody's not talking, not going to do anything, not responding to the niceties, he'll just say like, oh, what's your favorite color? Guy doesn't answer and he'll say, oh, it's blue. And he'd be right because he'd get that information from somebody else. Yeah. Then he, he would go from personal to, oh, you're part of this unit. Oh, this guy was your wingman. Yeah. Oh, th- and he would, he would slowly man. reveal yeah. like super personal information your third grade teacher's name was mrs jensen yeah shit like that and and eventually he would he would get to the point where he's like you know we're i know i already know i'm just confirming that kind of behavior without saying that but you know all i have to see is like like i would imagine that as soon as he says like oh this and it confirms it they're like what like whether they're hiding everything, like they're still going to look up or like yeah, there would be, be caught a, off a, guard. A thing, and often he would say, Jesus. "Oh, that we already know this. The uh, like I already know this about you, but the my managers want you to say it out loud." Yeah, and and a lot of times it would be like he would ask a question, give the answer, then the other person would say the answer again, and then he would say, 
a question of something they don't know, and the guy would say, oh, well, we don't have a, you know, oh, it's this new gun, but you guys already, but you already knew that. And a lot of times they would say that. They would say, oh, but you already knew that. And then he would say something he did know. Jesus, and so yeah. he would he would do that. Just kind of bounce it back and Bounce it forth. back and forth. And he would get so much crazy information that they would never reveal. But it felt like they'd already lost. And then he, yeah, he ended up interrogating some pretty big American pilots. Like Lieutenant Colonel Francis Gabreski, who was an ace, an ace fighter. He has a really interesting story if you're interested. Go look him up. But the basics for this story is he reaches 300 hours. He had like, I don't know, almost 20 confirmed kills. Jesus. 300 hours of mission flight. He's on his way to his wedding on discharge. Like he he writes his wife and says, you know, I'm coming home this day. Get the wedding ready. His passenger plane gets there. And he sees another mission is going out, and he says, I just want to do one more. So he goes out. He he escorts B-17 bombers. On the way back, he sees a German airfield unprotected. And he dive bombs it. He takes out three craft, which is crazy. That's huge. That's a big deal. Yeah. He's like, ah, I didn't do that good enough. So he comes back, oh. and the tip of his propeller just barely hits the ground, and he has to crash land. And that's how he lands in, in this guy's pocket. Jesus. And... This was one of the very few that he could not get any information out of. Really? Not a, not a peep. Huh. And they actually became friends. <laughs> like, <laughs> after the war, they became friends. Jesus. They even reenacted their interrogation together what? in the 80s. What the fuck? Yeah. They, they were so weird. It was so weird. He, he did roughly 500 interrogations with very few failures. Mm-hmm. Maybe one to two dozen. Maybe. Because he was just so good at it. So the the end of the war is happening. The war is, you know, winding down. He's back with his family. Things are okay for him because he never killed anybody. He, his wife did. His wife did. definitely <laughs> did, but they hid the bodies. Uh, he never joined the Nazi party, as far as I can tell. Huh. If he did, it was that involuntary because a lot of times yeah. they would just say, okay, you're in it. Yeah. You know, at this point, by law, anybody in the Wehrmacht is in the Nazi party. But he, he, he you know, he was in South Africa. During the whole yeah, Nazi movement. Yeah. The whole thing. He got back and just immediately got drafted. It wasn't. Yeah. He, huh. so, and I was like, hold on. This guy's not an asshole. <laughs> this whole time I was like, no, he's an asshole. He has to be. Yeah. And, you know, the most famous interrogator, the most effective interrogator in Nazi Germany has to be a Nazi, right? I don't know. <laughs> huh. So, end of the war happens. He, his family's fine. His family's safe because, you know, she could take a tank shell. To the chest, and bow- and throw it back. Every time somebody was about to shoot him, she would fucking like jump in and deflect the bullets <laughs> yeah, with, her, with her with her like pecs. eight pack abs. Yeah, and he, you know, he still has this reputation, but he's also kind of in good with the POWs because he treated them so well. They I remembered mean, him. I feel like kind of going back to the whole like he he technically wasn't like associated with the Nazi party. Um, I, I feel like if he, if he was just in deep with them, if he had identical views to, to what the Nazis were spitting out, if he's like eating up all that propaganda, he wouldn't have treated 
No. Anybody well, like he that. He wouldn't have been in this position. He yeah. would have been a Gestapo yeah. interrogator because he was so effective. Yeah. He wouldn't have done this. So 1948 comes around and there's a big U.S. trial. At this point, he's just, you know, trying to have his life, get his life back together, just like everybody after a world war. Things aren't great, as you can imagine, just all around. But they're trying to get their shit back together. And he gets called on by the United States government to do an interrogation. What? That's how good his, his reputation was, that even the, the high-ranking you know POWs who came back were like, oh, there's this one interrogator. He was awesome. His oh, name was, his name was yeah, Hans. Was like, they're like, oh, he Hans was so my nice. I have a friend that's over yeah, there. <laughs> they, they were. Yeah. And they Still were, writing they, to him. They brought him over. <laughs> They flew him and his family to the United States to interrogate Lieutenant Martin Monty, who deserves to be part of an episode that I may do next season about propaganda. Uh See, in, I think it was 1944, he was interrogated. I don't know if he was interrogated by Hans or by somebody else. I'm not sure. But he was interrogated. He was brought to a POW camp, and he ended up defecting to the Germans, to the Nazis, and then he started working on the Nazi radio propaganda, which which was a big program that I'd love to talk about. He met Axis Sally, which was a, a lady who was doing a lot of propaganda, who was like... Oh, I'm I'm Axis Sally. Americans suck. Basically, the opposite. Defect. It's like the the anti Betty Boop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, what's that? The there's that. Oh, what what was it? They did it in, uh, I mean, all these wars. But in Korea, there was a famous like radio broadcaster who was anti-American, pro-communist, and it was, yeah, it it was a similar subject. Uh, yeah, Sean Hannity. Yeah. Oh, no, that's still. <laughs> but yeah, he he met all these people in the propaganda industry. He starts working on the radio and stuff, and then he towards the end of the war, he just pretends like he was a POW the whole time. He almost gets away with it, but somebody recognized him. Those meddling kids and that dog. Yeah. So they they bring Hans over to interrogate him and testify against him in court to prove his defection to the to the Nazis. As far as I know, he's successful. And from 1948 on, he just kind of stays in the U.S. He's allowed to stay. He networks with a bunch of Air Force officials that he had met as an interrogator, but this time as an ally, as a bro. And he's like, hey, you know, you now are running an interrogation school. You want, I'll, I'll do a lecture. Huh. And he starts a lecture circuit. Jesus Christ. And he, he starts, he, he lectures at interrogation schools. He lectures at the Pentagon <laughs> just after the war. Jesus Christ. And he, he ends up staying in the U.S. permanently. <laughs> the Pentagon was really just trying to recruit his wife as a super soldier yeah, for their they testing. Were, well, yeah, they, they took her DNA for sure, and that's where Captain America came from. <laughs> It's a true story, it actually. Is. They just got the timing wrong. It happened after the war. It wasn't World War II that Captain America was in. It was in, It was the Korean War. He leveled so many villages. And also, it wasn't Captain America. It was Margaret Stokes Schaefer. Maggie. Maggie. Oh, my God, dude. And, yeah, he, he ends up writing a, a memoir that's just kind of for himself. He never wanted to publish it. But it gets it gets picked up and it sells fifty billion copies. <laughs> well, 
it kind of gets picked up by some <laughs> some military by some military people just like he was just sharing it yeah but not really trying to publish it but the uh, this military guy reaches out to some of the people that he mentions yeah. And says, I I don't trust this guy. I don't buy it. He must have been a piece of shit Nazi Ex- like the rest Nazi, of them. No way. No way. So he reaches out to all these people and they write back glowing reviews uh-huh. saying what he wrote about me was 100% accurate and true. And I support this book. If it comes out, let me know and I'll buy a copy. Jesus. And yeah, it, he published it. He ends up publishing it with all this evidence that it's real because a ton of memoirs I'm 100% sure have been altered. Like it's oh, it, yeah. like uh, to to put you in a better light, but yeah, everything he said, as far as we can tell, is true. Jesus, plenty of people have come out and said, "No, no, I'm I'm still friends." You know, we we exchanged Christmas yeah. cards, and he fades into nothingness. No, he doesn't actually. So this is the weird part. This is the part that said I have to talk about this guy. Okay. Let me check the time. No, you're good. Okay. He publishes a memoir, probably makes a lot of money, and he says, I'm going to go back to my basics, to the skills that I learned before the war, before South Africa. Selling cars for Henry Ford. Before that, oh God. <laughs> he he would have been director, regional sales director immediately. It's like, Henry Ford? A, a Nazi? A Nazi? Henry Ex-Nazi? Ford goes, okay. I'm putting you in charge of the the line dancing program that yeah, I'm putting together. Yeah, the square together. dancing, Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm assembling a team of square dancers. Uh, my wife has to come because she leads. We're gonna teach you a bunch of twelve-year-olds in the United in these United States. What United States? <laughs> We're gonna get them on Kellogg's. <laughs> so he starts again. He goes into art. He starts making mosaics. Okay. As this like bringing back his because you know he was technically Prussian. Which yeah. has been gone for a long time, so he's able to do these like mosaics in that early European, early like in that Prussian style, where it's kind of that older medieval almost, yeah, yeah. Germanic medieval style. I'm sure if you saw it, you, you'll recognize it immediately. Yeah, I I think I've seen something recently, really of his, yeah, some some work of his. Where while you were looking it up? When oh, I yo, sat yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know what I'm talking Before about. Before the episode, I totally yeah, forgot. Yeah, yeah. I was like, "Really?" <laughs> I mean, there's, like, a, there's the a chance starts you did. And I'm like, "Oh, I I know his name. I know who this I know is. this guy." No, so he he was in around New York. He starts making mosaic art, but he also starts painting furniture. Which early 50s mosaic painting on furniture, like that's that's like proto 1960s yeah, art shit. shit. So he's like on it. Yeah, he really he not. becomes a hit overnight, essentially. He starts doing, like, huge orders where he's, like, hand-painting this shit. He moves to L.A. with his family. Jesus. He's also one of the very few characters that we talk about on the show who did not treat his wife like shit or divorce her. Well, he was too afraid of her. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. You got it. By 1971, he brought his daughter-in-law into the family business. Which is called like Sharf Art or something. Sharf Art. Sharf Art. And then they eventually made it uh, Sharf and Sharf. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. You can find their website. It's actually pretty nice. They talk about their history a little bit. And their big starting project for Sharf and Sharf, the one that's going to put them on the map and make their business, you know, legitimate, even though he was already super successful before. 
was to make a 15-foot mosaic, 15-foot tall, I don't know how long it is, it's in sections, of the story of Cinderella that is at Disney World in Florida still today. It's in Cinderella Castle. You can find it there. He did the mosaics there. He also... (laughs) What year was that? uh, 70s, early 70s probably. If prop, I mean, probably, yeah. And then he also designed and created the floor in the California State Capitol building, still. <laughs> it's like, of course, Disney would work with a fucking ex-Nazi. <laughs> he designed the the art on the ramps leading to the Epcot Center. <laughs> oh, my God, dude. He Good for him, though. He created the outdoor building facade of a large building at Dixie College in Utah. <laughs> huh. And And... He did a ton of work at churches, schools. I think like the the L.A. Uh, what's that called? Like City Hall has some of his pieces in it. Jesus, I'm sure. And be and how big you know is. through a lot of this, he he would lecture, and he's been studied by their entire schools of psychology about his interrogation, like techniques, and why they work. The FBI and the military still use it. Even, like, as as soon as, like, uh, I think it was 2009, the FBI created, like, an entire program just based on his, God damn. his methods. He ended up dying in 1992. Sharp and Sharp continued until 2020, 2020 or 2022 when young Sharp passed away. Oh. And it it's, I don't, I dare I say this is a positive german during world war ii episode yeah shit we didn't have any like needless death yeah he prevented death and this is a surprisingly happy episode following last episode hell yeah and and surprisingly like that that part in the beginning where it was like oh i don't want to send you the gestapo that was true he never wanted he did everything in his power to prevent sending people to the gestapo because he knew how shitty they were yeah like because i'm sure it happened like once or twice and he was like hey can I reach back out to them? And they were like, oh, they're long. Oh, gone. he's dead. Yeah. We, he, he died before he even stepped in, like, stepped foot in the door. Yeah. It, so, yeah, weirdly, weirdly positive World War II episode. Weird. I don't, I don't know, but you know what? It's, it's proof that, uh, you know, even if you're in a shitty situation, you can stand up in your own way and, you know, prevent the needless deaths of hundreds of people. It's true. Yeah. Fight back against the system, ACAP. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Yeah. That's that's the that's the the, that's the mission, the motto. <laughs> the mission of this uh the theme. There we go. <laughs> the theme. I dig it. That's yeah. I, like I did not expect it to turn to like, oh yeah, he became an artist. Yeah, he became an like artist. A world for, renowned artist. For, Excuse me. Like forty years. Which means he contributed more to art than to Germany. Than he to also attributed cars. more to to the art community than Hitler ever did. Yes, one hundred percent. And that's why he didn't join yeah. the Nazis because he was actually if, if he was he successful. Yeah, that was the other thing. Is it in the U.S.? It was like he's like, hey, I'm I I have these roots that go back to 1930s and 1940s Germany, and everyone's like, his art is great. Just tell him his art. Just is tell him it's good. Great. Yeah. <laughs> Pay for it. I don't care. Yeah, he did some like weird orders. Like I think I remember him. I don't know. I I didn't verify this, but it was like some 
company or like some government somewhere ordered like 20,000 pieces of furniture from what him. The fuck? He like he was he I mean it was a was weird very it was a weird time. It was a weird for time. Furniture and yeah. like interior decorating. Yeah, plus all the all the money from the war really lined a lot of people's pockets. <laughs> I wonder if he's the one that painted your oh. Painted your toilet upstairs pink. Yeah, the pink toilet. Yeah, Maybe probably his design. It's probably if I look behind it, there's probably like a hidden <laughs> swastika. Sharf and sharf. Yeah, sharf, sharf and, sharp. and Dude, sons. If I'll, if there's something small that I could buy, <laughs> if anybody has anything that says sharf and sharf, I'd buy it. That's cool. I'll I'll take out a second mortgage on my house because <laughs> that's cool. And now I want to go to Dixie College. That's the first time I've ever said that same that uh, sentence. Good luck. But now I'm like, I want to see that. that that's cool. Because there's something there, you know? Because the whole time, I, I knew about the art when I started research. So this whole time I was like, oh, where, I, I could form this. It, where does it start? I could form this as like a, wow, I can't believe the, you know, this college and, and this Capitol building has art from a Nazi who contributed to war crimes. Turns out he didn't. Yeah. And, and it threw me for a loop. <laughs> and I hate him because he was so lucky. Yeah. He... Fell in like he was born to a wealthy family, yeah. and it went up from there. Jesus. And you know what? That's okay because being born to a wealthy family in 1907 is totally different. Yeah. To being born to a wealthy family at any time past 1950. <laughs> True. Well, if uh, you would like us to have children that are that <laughs> no. are born to wealthy parents, uh, Actually, good luck. Yes. It'll never happen. No, no, We're no. Gonna have no, no. Actually, hey. no. For for Patreon, yeah, it'll happen. You know what? Everybody has a price. Yeah. <laughs> so subscribe to Patreon. Yeah. If find you us on want Patreon. to find that price for us. <laughs> and it kind of sounds like you're paying it starts for low. We'll just put it that yeah. way. It kind of sounds like you're paying for us to get laid. And I assure you that is what it is. Yeah, yeah. True. Very true. Yeah. So that's okay. Uh, um, yeah. yeah. Find us on Patreon. Uh, points O Pressure. Patreon.com forward slash Points O Pressure. Search for us on there at Points O Pressure. Um, we do an exclusive episode every month on the first day of the next month. Uh, we have a couple of sloppy or like 20, 20 plus sloppy seconds episodes. Uh, and a couple other things on there. Click around on it if you are interested. If you can't afford it, that is a okay. Don't worry about it. But uh, you got those names. Yeah. So we got the board. Um, I can't think of something funny to say about the board. Ah, that's fine. They, I, the board definitely had nothing to do with the Yugoslavian civil war. Yeah. Uh, Mini D and Toddlewaddle. Thank you guys so much. Then of course we've got uh, Abby, AJ's third nut, Kitty Titties. Thomas, Weston, Dark Runner, D's Nuts, G Dog, Laura Ravo, and Lindo. Thank you guys so much. Um, your involvement is ambiguous. We don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and we will keep it that way. And we will keep don't it worry. that way until you're in the board. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, well, and then we, we really, know. really do appreciate all of you guys for supporting us. Um, uh, and as always, if you guys ever have recommendations for anything, really. Movies, TV shows, music, books, movies, TV shows, music, M and, music books. and books. And that's it. Nothing else. Uh, anything that falls outside of that realm, we will not look at. Uh, no, if you have like show ideas, an article that you're like, hey, this was about one of your episodes. What do you think about it? Send it along. Uh, reach out to us on Instagram, 
at points or points or points pressure. Or points or oh pressure. One or the other. Or email us at ppdnaj, just the letters, at gmail.com or go to our website, pointsopressure.com and go to the contact us page and we'll catch you guys next Monday.